Hello everyone, Dan Sims here from Rebel Global and welcome back to the Mole Cheese Collective podcast. This podcast is all about a community of like-minded makers, growers, farmers and families who happen to make the best cheese in Australia. In today's episode, we speak to Kim Masters from Section 28, who are from the wonderful Adelaide Hills in South Australia. We recorded this podcast at the height of home isolation, but what I love about this conversation was that we talked about the impact and influence that travelling the world can have. With distance can come perspective, as well as inspiration and motivation, and it is travel that is at the core of Kim's and Section 28's story. Thanks to a family trip to the humble and beautiful town of Monforte de Alba in the gastronomic paradise of Piedmont in Italy's northwest, it sparked the inspiration to create what has become, in my opinion, one of the great cheeses in Australia, aptly named and in tribute to the town itself, Monforte. I know I will embarrass Kim by saying that as he's way too humble, but this is yet another example of the evolution of Australian cheese, and that is something we should all be proud of. Yes, cheesemakers may draw inspiration from Europe or anywhere, frankly, but they take that and then craft something that is uniquely and unapologetically from this land. And let's face it, drawing inspiration from elsewhere is nothing new. You could say the same for music, the arts, architecture, anything. It's what people do with it that matters. And in Section 28's case, we are all the benefactors. I really enjoyed this chat with Kim and I hope you do too. So let's get into it. Masters, welcome to the Mold Cheese Collective. How are you doing? Dan, good. Thank you very much and, and thanks so much for having us on, on board. Just to kick us off, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and Section 28. Yeah, um, so my my um, and probably second Section 28 start is not your typical cheese maker and cheese business start. I, um, I spent uh, 20 years in investment banking for my sins, uh, and, well, probably for my clients' sins, more to the point, and then... Um, Decided I wanted to pursue a passion, and passion was really making making cheese that were reflective of um, the locality, um, and and pursue that passion and make some art. So, um, hence Section Twenty Eight. The name, um, I think, I, I have been told. In fact, I think I was told at a mold festival um, by by someone who was a bit miffed by it that Section you get committed under Section Twenty Eight of the Mel, Mel, uh, of the Mental Health Act in Victoria. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, not, I haven't actually gone and done the due diligence, but I do remember one in in um, in the meatworks. Some guy came up and said, "Hang on, you know that." But Section Twenty Eight for us. Um, I grew up on a wheat and sheep farm out in Western South Australia, um, and uh, the, out there the, the farms are divided up into sections, and um, Section Twenty Eight was our farm. So this is where you sort of you can take the farmer out of the boy or the boy out of the farm, but you can't really take the farmer out of the boy. What drew you to cheese? in the first place? Um, well, I had the really good fortune of spending quite a bit of time in um, in France, uh, just through, for various reasons, work and pleasure. Um, and then also, uh, Joe, my wife, and I took our, our two young boys across and we spent 12 months in Piemonte, um, living in Monforte, Monforte d'Alba. And um, the thing that, when you're there, you just, you eat a lot of food and you live the village lifestyle. And the thing that really stood out for me coming from a wheat and sheep farm was how um, regional and ultra village specific cheese was. I mean, I think you get that a little bit in in wine, but I would argue with cheese, it's actually like you, you, 
terroir has a bigger impact on cheese than possibly that it does on wine, because not only is it climate and environment, but but actually what's happening in the community and within within the um, the people in those areas has such a massive impact on on cheese and things like you know you, your Beaufort has a convex um, heel on it because they happen to have uh, donkeys that they use to transport transport those those cheeses up and down the mountains, whereas in the next village, you know, the next uh, valley over, um, Comte doesn't have a, 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 a convex heel and they're a bit smaller because people put them on, on, on blokes' backs. So, you know, that, that interaction of, of community and personal people and environment to create just a outstandingly um, unique product in every essence was something that really attracted me to cheese. I have to say that uh, Monforto is one of my in Piedmont is one of my favourite places in the world, and uh, I remember standing on the hill of Monforto, and from a wine perspective, oh, you know, um, it was like if you can't see it from Monforto, it's not worth seeing. It's funny. It's um, it's my second home. Well, in in fact, it's almost my first home. It, it we it, um, we went back. Um, uh, in October last year, which was the first time in a little while we'd been back, and it, it literally season. felt Good like coming home to me. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly, perfect time. Um, um, and it's just, it is. There's something about it. There's something magic about the place. That's incredible. So, when did uh, Section Twenty Eight begin? So we we started um, working towards it um, back in probably 2011, 2012. But we actually made a, we commissioned the factory in April 2015. So. For me, um, you know, we, we say our birth date's the 10th of April, 2015. Oh, amazing. And what was the first cheese that you made? Monforte. Monforte. Beautiful. Beautiful tribute. Well, why don't we talk about that because, um, obviously, that's the first cheese that we're putting in the uh, the Mole Cheese Collective. Um, you say it's inspired from Monforte, but tell us about the cheese. What are the flavour profiles? What, what goes into creating uh, this incredible, incredible cheese? Yeah, so we it's really and 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 very much like um, a lot of our cheeses. What we try and do is use those traditional methods from Europe, but then adapt them to suit our milk. So we we source our milk fresh every morning from from one dairy. I I literally go out at four thirty. I get up at four thirty and I go out and I pick up um, each morning. I chat to the dairy farmer, so we have a really good understanding of um, how the herd health is, um, what the the dairy rations looking like, what's happening in the paddock, and then. We use that information and increasingly, now we've been doing it for five years, we, we sort of have a bit more knowledge and we use that information to adjust which cheeses we make or, and we don't make all cheeses all year round or, or, or you know, what, what sort of minor tweaks to the, the recipe. The Monforte is really unique uh, in that it is one of the few that is inspired by, um, in Australia, that is, that's um, a, an Alpine semi-hard. So, you know, it's inspired by the French Abondance, but you know, Comte, Abondance, uh, Gruyere, uh, they're all they're all made in a very similar fashion. Um, and then the other the other uh, interesting thing to note about the Monforte is that it is a raw milk cheese, so it's one of the few commercially available raw milk cheeses in Australia. Um, and what we've found is we we make we don't have a philosophical um, view about raw milk or pasteurised milk. We we view it as being a tool, and um, but our base. You know, our base ethos within Section 28 is to create cheeses that really reflect the essence of the Adelaide Hills and not, you know, not having to do too much to them if we can. 
That's amazing. And uh, and how long do you age the Monforte for? Typically, we leave it, we, we release it somewhere between nine and fourteen months. And so, what we find is the season. What we we try and take some of that seasonal variation. So, because it's raw milk, depending on in in the Adelaide Hills, you end up with green grass um, in spring uh, through until early summer. And then you'll have a flush sort of early winter, but you end up with dry periods, wet dries, um, or sorry, wet periods so there's no grass and dry periods so there's no grass in the middle of summer and the middle of winter. Um, and what we find then is because there's no fresh grass, the flavour, the flavour profile, and also the ageing um, varies of those in those different times. And so because we're committed to making a, a high quality cheese, principally for food, the food service industry, um, we adjust our ageing time, our affinage, um, to accommodate that seasonal variation. So typically the, the winter cheeses, we age a little bit longer. Um, so they, they push out to around that 12 months. And the summer cheeses, because they are a bit more vibrant um, and we want to capture that vibrancy, we, we release them a little bit earlier, about nine months. I always find that fascinating with cheese, how we have to remember that this is an agricultural product and it's we've been talking to a, a number of people and there's this theme that's coming through of that, yes, there will be variation, but there will be a consistency of deliciousness. Uh, and I love the fact that it's that snapshot in time and each may be slightly, slightly different but representative of it. And I, I think that's a that's amazing that and the skill of cheesemakers to look after it nurture it understand those differences and then get it ready and right to to people at the at the optimum time it's a it's an amazing effort yeah look and i think um i think those really great cheesemakers and, and we we obviously don't include section 28 in that we, we're working towards it um but those really great cheesemakers have an intuitive understanding of the seasonal variation not just based on but variations between seasons as well. And it's a bit like the great winemakers understand as they're making them how there'll be variation between vintages just because of, you know, we're picking a week later than last year or, um, you, you, you know, you had a slightly drier um, period through budding and, and fruit set and that sort of thing. So those the really great cheesemakers understand that. And, and like the really great winemakers, they understand how to... Um, highlight those variances or those what could be seen as being deficiencies in the seasonal conditions, um, and that I find that just amazing, so inspiring. Um, and I, I, I mean, for us, I think we have a few seasonal cheeses, but we I think quite often there is a risk that people put out when they've messed up a make or they haven't been able to control it. They call it they, they blame it on the season, um, and I think it's a bit like a you know that that's not sure the seasons had an impact but the really great uh, cheesemakers um, are able to work within the parameters of the season and certainly that we we find that super inspiring um, we're not necessarily there yet but we, we you know give me 50 years I'd probably beg to differ. The Monforte is definitely one of my favourite cheeses at Mould. I remember you showed me was it was it a twenty four month aged that we tried at uh, uh, at the, at the Mould the Cheese Festival and it blew me away. I was um, it, it's I think that's been one of the great things that I've loved about the, the Mould Festival is that having all those incredible cheeses in the same room to be able to taste them and be so incredibly inspired and uh, and amazed of just how good Australian cheese and. And yes, there's always a comparison to countries such as France or Italy or you know other countries who've made cheese for a lot longer. But there's 
the quality that is in Australia is 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 incredible, and it's we're making the best Australian cheese we can, and France, just as France makes the best French wine, you know, in the world, they make they make the best French cheese in the world, and here at, you know in Australia, it certainly makes some of the best Australian. Tell me about some of the other cheeses that you make. How many in total do you do you look do you look after? So um, we we have. We sort of have five, and it's a bit vague because some, sometimes what we do, we, we have five in our core range. I'll answer the question and explain why I'm a bit vague. So we have five in our core range and we have three seasonal cheeses. Um, what we do, though, is we take, for example, um, La Primavera, which is our seasonal, which is our seasonal um, our spring cheese. Um, we, we noticed that the, the milk was just spectacular for the first three to four weeks um, after their after there's a, a the first rain, so it doesn't necessarily go by date, but it's more by when it rains in the hills. Um, so we use a, a just a um, a common recipe, so a recipe that we use in, uh, in one of the other cheeses, and we then, but we just highlight it, highlight the quality of the milk um, at that time. So they're actually two very similar cheeses, um, very similar make process and affinage process. But the fact that we're really highlighting that quality of that milk for that four, three to four week period means it's a totally different cheese to what you would otherwise get. And then because we want, because, you know, ultimately we're selling um, that La Primavera after 120 days, it's a raw milk cheese, um, after 120 days in February where everyone's forgotten what spring was like, we cover it in, we call it La Primavera, spring in Italian, and then we cover it in um, dried um, dried flowers, uh, you know, um, meadow flowers from the Yarra Valley, um, to remind everyone that this is a, a spring milk cheese. And that then, and and we also have chosen those flowers fairly carefully to augment the the flavour profile that's coming through as well. So, um, so that's why I'm a bit a bit a bit vague about the total number. But yeah, if you if you look at it and say each of those are individual cheeses, we've got five in our core range, um, three in our um, three in our seasonal and we've probably got three or four on the go at, in, in various stages of R&D. It takes us about 18 months to develop a, a new cheese to the point that we, and, and you know, we probably get a 30% strike rate. So one out of every three make it to the market. Um, be it that we, we just find that you don't end up with a sufficiently differentiated product or the product doesn't really highlight the flavour of the milk the way we, we anticipated it would, or ultimately we, we, launch, we, we you know, do some early testing in the market and people say, yeah, it's an interesting cheese, but we, we just won't buy it. So, um, so yeah, we've, we've got um, one, uh, semi, uh, one soft, which is the Telegio style or Telegio-inspired Monterosso, um, we have uh, three semi-softs and the rest are semi-hard, which are the, that, that sort of Comte d'Aiguillère um, Fontina style. Um, and they all, they're all inspired by that northern, northwest Italy, so Piemonte, Lombardia, um, or eastern France, uh, Savoie, Haute, Haute, you know, the Haute-Savoie or the uh, Franche-Comte regions. They're all beautiful, beautiful parts of the world, just as the... Uh the Adelaide Hills, I should say, as well, which is, you know, as a, as a fierce Victorian, every time I go there, it's like, oh, it's pretty bloody nice here, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is, you know, it's pretty tough. I, and that's the thing I figured, uh, you know, we figured if we're going to do something, let's do something we're passionate about. So cheeses we're passionate about. And let's, you know, let's make it interesting, places to talk about as well. So 
Indeed. Well, let's talk about, um, just touch on, um, let's say talk about 2020. And uh, look, the Adelaide Hills, you know, had a very horrific start to the year with bushfires and then from straight from bushfires into a global pandemic. How are you going? Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, 2020 will go, I think we'll look back and be proud of the way we, proud of our resilience. Um, I think that's where we'll get to. Um, you know, when you're in the middle of it, you're like a duck. Well, I'm not even sure I'm a graceful duck at the moment. I'm just paddling <laughs> like mad. But yeah, we, we were we were really fortunate. We had the the, the, the bushfire, the Cuddly Creek bushfire went um, 500 metres north and 500 metres south of our property. So we were really fortunate there. Um, and we didn't lose any stock. We, we had um, um, some measures in place that meant that we were we, we didn't lose stock. Um, but yeah, it was pretty that was that was pretty confronting to then, you know, drive up the next morning, not knowing whether you're, you know, the five years worth of work is going to be still there. And then um, because, as, as I mentioned before, we, we are 100% focused on food service um, and we our business went from record February, um, you know, 2020 to zero, um, literally in the space of, uh, in the in the space of about five and a half days, six days. So um, that's been real. That's been challenging. I mean, you, you you go through those stages of grief. I think where you're thinking, um, well, you know, in the first instance, we we had um, we had five members of staff that we wanted to make sure that we we couldn't afford to keep them all on. We wanted to make sure they were placed in in other employment as best we could, given the circumstances. And and, and we've been really fortunate to be able to transition um, our staff. We've kept um, kept one and, a half, one and one part-time uh, and the others we've managed to tra- transition into other roles in other organisations, which is fabulous uh, for them uh, and, and great for us. It's just meant that we, we you know, we, we build a really cohesive team and they're like family when wanting to look after them. Um, and then I think what we, you know, once you sort of uh, executed on that, then our focus was really... How do we, you know, how do we use this period? Um, let's assume, because I think, and if you ever stop assuming you're going to survive, you lose hope, and then it's curtains. So, let's assume we're going to survive. Um, and what does, what do we want Section 28 to look like on the other side? What aspects of our business have been neglected or could be improved? Um, what relationships have we not necessarily invested as much in as we? perhaps would would have liked to and why is that um and and so we we've, we've used the period you know probably the last three and a half four weeks to really drive that thinking uh and and look at a couple of projects that we every you know it's just simple things like you know, there, there's a particular hot tap that's been annoying me for four and a half years so we've replaced that you know but right down to you know we've, we've often thought about um we we have a, a we've been really blessed by the number of people that have supported us and shown interest in us as we've been established and we would love to establish we've talked about um, some form of I don't know club or something like that where we can we can give back to those people and just say thank you um, and uh, you know and, and that's probably been on the back burner a bit um, while we're just trying you know historically over the last couple of years while we were growing but we've had a had an opportunity to pause and think you know what that what that is important to us and probably you know that that opportunity to pause and think has has put into focus where we're really going to dose dose our efforts over the next period and and have a you know real push in those places so 
yeah, if, if, if anything's good, anything good has come out of going from 100 mile an hour to zero, um, that's probably been it. Yeah, I think the word resilience really, I think, sums up so uh, <laughs> sums up um, how strong and, and adaptive um, farmers and primary producers are, and it is it's staggering. And after speaking with many wineries, uh, you know, cheesemakers, farmers in general, to go from I said already a a, a very traumatic event such as bushfires direct into a into this covid crisis it's it's scary and you mentioned the word grief before it is it's uh it, it's it's like a staging thing isn't it it's it's like how do we get through it and um keeping that positivity on and i i, I so admire um what you guys do and everyone um for for holding firm and continuing on Tell me, did you you were you mentioned uh, to me before, just before we started recording, about uh, the new facility that you were going to build? Like, where, like, how close were you? Is it still on the cards? Uh, uh, yeah, we so we we we've been um, so um, we 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 started off in in a twenty foot and a forty foot shipping container. Uh, we've we've now been operating out of a 24 a 220 foot and a 40 foot shipping container and we've you know that's been okay that's we've managed to make that work but we were getting to the point where there was inefficiencies in our production process and we were not able to keep up with demand which um which obviously is is was making it challenging so we had started the process of um looking at potential expansion um and we were possibly weeks away, you know, a few, you know, literally weeks away from putting in it. In, um, we've got the plans drawn up, ready to go. We've had the conversation with the bank. Um, I'm eminently grateful that we hadn't actually got, you know, the final engineering drawings done um, at the time that we we, we basically went to, from flat out to zero. So, um, yeah, we, we were maybe four or five days away from, from finalising all of that and, and pressing the button, pressing the go on that. So um, I think we, we we hopeful we'll get back to that level, but I think we'll be doing it in a, in a slightly different way now. Um, and I think that is that is only going to be better for um, the people that, the, you know, people that buy Section 28 cheeses because our cheeses are going to be a significantly are going to be significantly better because of that that ability to pause. Yeah, I think uh, you know the cheeses are just incredible. Um, tell us, you know, we talk about cheese and and uh, you mentioned family and Monforte. Is there is there a moment or I suppose your favourite cheese occasion that you can remember? Is there one? Is there one that comes to mind? It's a and I ask this. I, I say this as well. I. I um, Nicole from Grandview picked me up on this because I, I was saying, "What's your favourite cheese?" And she's like, "Dan, that's like asking you about your favourite wine." And it's such a, and I and I hate that question. Although a, a, an interesting one, um, I was asked the other day, which I think is a, is because a lot of people say, "Who is your favourite? What's your favourite cheese?" And my answer is, "Well, you know, it's like favourite children. It depends on the day." Um, but someone <laughs> said to me, "Which cheese do you love making the best, the most?" And that I yep. think is quite a different question. But for me, seminal cheese moments, and probably actually, you know. Um, and it gives it gives you an insight into what I might have been like as a thirty year old. But um, sort of fifteen years ago, my my sister in law's French, and we were sitting in this uh, we were sitting in Paris uh, in summertime having having a and I get on exceptionally love my sister in law and we get on really well. But we were, we were having a, a, a picnic there um, in the back in the, her backyard in in, um, in the 
suburbs of Paris, and she bought out this particular cheese. And you know, as a know-it-all thirty-year-old who um, thought uh, industrial camembert was the height of sophistication, um, I've ribbed her a bit and said, "Look, you know, frankly, Flo, I can get shit cheddar in Australia. Why are you serving it to me in France?" And she said, "You know." Uh, just try it, and it was actually a, a, a an abondance alpage, so um, an abondance made at the height of summer in um, in in um, in eastern France, and I ate it not knowing, expecting a, a B grade cheddar, um, and as I ate it, I was transported to the high Alps, um, and for me, it was a really interesting food experience because up until that point, food had always been a an instigator of memories. So, you know, I, I love, you know, my, I, I love the smell of um, uh, apricot jam because it reminds me of growing up as a kid making jam. You know, it's that, that that trigger of memories. But this was the first time, and this is 15 years ago, this is the first time, I'd never been to the high Alps in the Savoie, um, and this is the first time it actually triggered a physical experience that wasn't based on memory. Um and I thought that was fascinating. You know that that, that and, and at that point I was in the middle of finance and I had I, I didn't have a desire to make cheese, but that that experience has stuck with me um, throughout the next ten years as we moved into this thought process. Well, maybe we'd like to you know build a cheese making business and what would that look like and what would what would that um, what would we aspire to be? And I think you know po- possibly um, I don't necessarily go in for formal visions or goal, you know, corporate goals or visions. Um, but if someone said to me in 50 years' time, I, I ate a piece of your cheese and it transported me to the Adelaide Hills, um, and they said that unprovoked, then I, I could die a happy man having, from a, from a, um, from a cheese-making perspective, having achieved that ultimate experience. So I think for me that's, that's one of those really unique seminal food experiences which happen to involve cheese, um, for me, that has really influenced the way we've then developed Section 28. Oh, mate, I, I, I love that story. I feel like I sh- we should leave it there. Kim Masters, um, Section 28 is an incredible um, incredible cheese-making facility. You're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for being part of the Mold Cheese Collective, mate. Thank you. Dan, thank you, and thank you to uh, the, the entire Mold team. It's amazing. Thank you so much to everyone for tuning in for the Mold Cheese Collective podcast. We're all about sharing the good word about the best cheesemakers in Australia. But of course, we'd love to hear from you as to what cheese you love, where it's from, and even better, your thoughts on this podcast. It would really mean a lot if you would leave a rating or a comment or just share it with your mates. We have a heap more interviews to come, so be sure to stay tuned. But until next time, cheers. Cheers.